At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. I remember very clearly the first time I ever had Thai food. I am... Uh, I would consider myself someone who likes to try new things, but maybe not someone who uh, will try really, really out-of-the-box things from what I'm used to. So like octopus, for example, not going to happen. I had no idea what to expect when my friend invited me and took me to a Thai restaurant. Really no idea what, was, uh, what kind of food it was going to be. We, take, we go to this restaurant, we, we place our order. I'm told that rookies should order the pad thai, so that's what I do. I order the pad thai, and thankfully I had enough self-awareness to order the mild, because that could have been very bad if I ordered anything above that, because my tolerance for heat is not very high. So I order pad thai mild, I'm sitting there waiting, getting a little anxious as we're waiting for the food to come out. The, the waiter comes out with two heaping piles of steaming food when it comes out. And I see, I see noodles, like noodles that maybe look a little different than what I'm used to, but okay, I can get behind that. Chicken, I, I can totally get behind chicken. Then I see these like weird looking veggies on top and peanuts. And I'm like, I was kind of taken back by the peanuts. I'm like, peanuts don't belong on pasta. But I try it and it's amazing. It is delicious. It is so, so, so good. I go on this like months-long kick of like Thai food. Anytime someone asks me what I want to eat, I'm like, I'm feeling Thai today. I'm feeling Thai. Like every day, lunch, dinner, doesn't matter. I want Thai food. Hey, I was telling other people about it. I was convincing other people, like, you, may, you need to try this. It is so, so good. It opened up my horizons a little bit to other food. I've tried Vietnamese and Indian and, and uh, what else, uh, Mediterranean because of my love for Thai food. And all of those are amazing, by the way. So this one meal changed my, my bravery a bit when it comes to food. It changed my appetite. It, it changed what I talk about. Over a dish of food, all those things were changed. Imagine if I got a taste of something more significant to life than just a simple type of cuisine. Imagine how much my life should change if I get a taste of the one who invented all delicious food, that invented taste buds, that invented the whole universe. Imagine how much my life would be transformed if I tasted the goodness of God himself. How would that change my actions? Would I crave him more because of that taste of his goodness? How would that change my words? Would I avidly tell others about him like I did that experience with the Thai restaurant? Would I grow would I desire more and more to learn about him or would I be content settling with the basics of the pad thai of Christianity, so to speak? The idea of tasting the goodness of God is essentially a symbol for us for coming to faith in Jesus. Coming to faith in Jesus. It's a symbol we're going to see in our passage today. Before the Holy Spirit opens our heart to see the beauty of Jesus, we see him as someone who wants to rob us of something. He's got this pres prescribed way of life for us, and it may seem oppressive. He's, got, he's always talking about sin. I mean, he's not always the, the life of the party when he keeps bringing up our sin. 
He's always making us look bad by showing compassion to people when we would not. We just wouldn't. Jesus tastes bitter in our mouths before the Holy Spirit removes the veil of our hearts. I don't know about you, but before I was a believer, anytime I even heard the name Jesus come onto a Christian radio uh, station, for example, I would physically cringe. I could feel myself cringing inside. That was me, repulsed by the king who died for me. He wasn't sweet at all. I was blind. My taste buds were seared from tasting the goodness of Jesus. But then the Holy Spirit breaks into our hearts and turns our hearts of stone and turns them to flesh. We're born again by the Spirit, as the scriptures tell us. Things that were invisible to us at one point in time now become strikingly, suddenly clear. Jesus is not bitter, but he is sweeter than honey. He talks about sin, yes, but then he goes to the cross and dies for it in our place. He has a way of life for us, yes, but it is for our good and for our flourishing as humans. He shows more compassion than we ever have to other people, yes, and he makes us look bad, yes, but because of his work on the cross, his perfect record has been attributed to us as believers. Honey is not sweet enough to describe the sweetness of Jesus. Pure sugar is not sweet enough to describe how sweet he is. I think the crux of the matter is this. What evidence should be in my life, what evidence should I see in my life to know that I have tasted the sweetness, the goodness of Jesus? How should my life be getting transformed because of my continual encounters with Jesus, my continual taste of him? So our passage today is going to encourage and remind us to taste the goodness of God. Taste the goodness of God. So we're continuing today through our series in 1 Peter called Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. So if you're a kid and you got one of these kid sheets, that's the first blank, world. Steadfast hope in an unpredictable world. So Peter's writing to believers who are being verbally and perhaps even physically abused and discriminated against because of their Christian commitment. It was not easy being a Christian in their context. They were, they were pushed away from their families. They were hated and despised by their friends. All they had was one another. Things were not easy for them. So the Apostle, Paul, Apostle Peter is writing to them to encourage them and get their eyes and hearts back on the truth of what Jesus has done. So as we dive into our scripture text today, I want to encourage you to, to follow along. So kids, these sheets that I mentioned, um, grab those. I've already given you the first blank. That second blank is love. Love is a verb. Love isn't an object that we can put in a box and ship away. Love isn't a noun, where a noun or an object where if we give enough away, we don't have any left. Love is an action. It's something God shows to us and continually we should be giving to others. I've also given you the third blank, taste the goodness, the goodness of God. And I have a treat for you after service if you meet me down by the tent, uh, if you fill out your sheet. Parents, on the back of this sheet, there are some excellent questions to disciple your children throughout this week. I'd encourage you to go to this 
and uh, use them to help disciple your kids towards the truth this week. If you're a middle schooler, a high schooler, an adult, and you like taking notes, feel free to bring a journal from home, grab your notes if that helps you um, learn scripture better, write an outline, write down questions, ask them to me later, or have scripture answer them even better. With that, let's dive in. So the big question we're going to be going to try to answer today is, how do we know that we have tasted that the Lord is good? We're going to be trying to look at two points of evidence that we have tasted that the Lord is good. We're looking for evidence that we are truly in Christ, saved for all eternity. The first one is that we will grow in our love for one another. We are to love one another. So let's head to our very first verse, verse 22 of chapter 1 in 1 Peter. It says this, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another from a pure, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So I want to pause there. Peter tells his readers and us to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Earnestly means with sincerity. So there is, there is no fake love, there's no deceit, there's no pretending, there's no game we're playing here. We genuinely, wholeheartedly, thoroughly are to love one another. We aren't to share our love with someone face to face and then go behind their back and, and talk about them in mean and evil ways. We are to be single-minded in our love for one another. Because it is genuine, it shows itself in all areas of our lives not just when we're talking to someone face-to-face. Okay, great. We're to love one another, but why? Why are we supposed to love one another? I love the logic of this passage, and I'm going to keep going back to it as we, as we continue this morning. Peter tells his readers to love one another sincerely because they have been saved and loved by God. Look at verse 22. It says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. So because their sinful souls have been purified, washed clean when they repented of their sin and turned in obedience to the truth about Christ, this is the reason they are to go and love one another. Because you have been washed clean if you are in Christ due to no effort or merit of your own, love others. Show grace to others because it's been shown to you. And more logic, that word since, if you look at that word since at the beginning of verse 23, it shows a similar reasoning. Why should we love another, one another? It says, since you have been born again. You've been given a new life, born again by the Holy Spirit of God, saved by grace. And this salvation is not temporary. It isn't fleeting. It isn't going to escape one day when we mess up one too many times. It says it is for all eternity. It says we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Human fathers conceive our bodies that will perish, but God as our new father conceives that which will never die, a new life in Christ. So kids, maybe you have a a favorite superhero You have a favorite superhero. They seem so strong, right? They seem indestructible. It seems like they'll never be beaten. But yet when we watch the movies with our favorite superheroes, they still can get hurt. They still can be defeated at times. How much is that going to make us worried if our superhero, favorite superheroes can be afraid of being defeated and being killed when we are just normal people? 
We have some good news, though. The Bible says that if we trust in Jesus, we will never perish. We will never perish. Our life will never end. Sure, we may get old one day and, and die, but we will never perish because God has a new life ready and waiting for us that will last forever and ever. So how does Peter say that we're born again? Moving on, Peter tells us we are born again through the living and abiding word of God. Our eyes have been opened to the truth that we've heard from God's word. Whether we're reading on our own or we've heard the message preached from God's word, the Bible was previously this dusty old book of antiquated old Proverbs that didn't have any purpose for us until our hearts were indwelled by the one who wrote it. And we saw the truth. We're not entrusting in something temporary in order to give us a secure eternity. That wouldn't make any sense. It's like trusting that zebra gum when we were kids growing up to satisfy you for an hour. It doesn't. It lasts about seven and a half seconds. It's the most amazing gum on the planet for seven and a half seconds, but then it tastes like wax. That's not going to satisfy you. We need something eternal to secure us for all eternity. If we want eternal security, eternal assurance that we are saved, we need something eternal. Thankfully, God's word is eternal. It is abiding, it's enduring, and it's alive. Peter, in, this, in our passage, quotes from Isaiah 40. You can see the, the passage looks a little different in your Bibles. He's quoting from Isaiah 40 to contrast the weakness of human flesh with the power and the eternal nature of the word of God. He says, For all flesh is like grass, and, it's, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. We are like grass, it's saying. Grass does not endure. Grass is easily killed. Grass dies easily. It does not last long in this world. We are so small-minded and temporary creatures that we think waiting for our favorite TV show to load is a long time. But God's word is eternal. It has no end. Eternity is hard for us to fathom, but it is not for the one that holds it in his hand. I'd encourage you to, to go and read Isaiah 40 this afternoon or this week sometime. It's that passage that um, Peter is quoting from here. That passage is filled with example after example after example of how eternal and mighty and glorious God and his word are. We need someone that big, that eternal to secure us, secure our salvation for all eternity. His love for us isn't one day going to just dry up like grass. It, it is going to thrive for all eternity. We can take heart in that truth. So Peter ends this chapter, chapter 1, with some clarification about what this word is. What is the word of God? He says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. The enduring word is the gospel. The gospel is not going anywhere. It is going to remain forever and ever the best news and the most important thing you will ever know. It's never going to lose its significance for us as believers. We will spend all eternity plumbing the depths of the grace of God found for us in the gospel. 
One commentator puts it like this. The gospel of grace is not a passing fad, not trendy, not temporary. It is the abiding hope of the world. Even though the grass withers and the flower falls, the gospel never will. The gospel that Christians believe in has no expiration date. So the the white-hot, burning, central point of all of Scripture is what Jesus has done to save mankind and bring glory to his Father. That will never change. So there's a lot of logical points that Peter's making in this passage. Hopefully I helped make it understandable for you. But let's boil it, those four verses, down to a simple statement. Love for one another is powered by our conversion. So because we are converted, because we are converted by the grace of God, that is where love for one another comes from. It's powered by our conversion. So we've been promised an eternal and abounding love in God's word because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. It will never end. It will never wane. So we are to love one another with everything we have. It's that simple, but yet that hard. (laughs) The question we need to ask ourselves and one another is this. Do we see evidence in our lives of love for one another? Do we see evidence of conversion, in other words? Have we been too busy, worried about our own situation to stop and care for others? Is our first reaction to keep people at a distance who have different politics, different education, different uh, temperament, different ethnicity, different age, different education than ourselves? Or do we love them as Christ has loved us? Love for one another is powered by our conversion. Have you been converted? Then love is your new job description, period. Not just for those people you agree with. Jesus died for us, uh, and we had vastly different views from him. In fact, we were rebels against him. And if you have not been converted to Christ and his grace, you will be unable to love others fully, until you give your life to Christ, until you've been fully loved by Jesus himself. So that big question we're trying to answer today is, how do we know? How do we know that we have tasted that the Lord is good? We're looking at two points of evidence about how we can know that we are saved for all eternity, that we belong to Christ. The first one is we're going to grow in our love for one another. The second is kind of similar. It's that we are to grow up and love. Grow up and love. So let's move on to verses 1 through 3 in chapter 2 of 1 Peter where it says this. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it they may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So Peter urges us urges with us to put away the former life that we used to live. We've been born again, after all. We've been made new. We are a new creation. Why are we doing these things that we used to do? We need to set aside to stop doing these things. So I'm going to go through this list really quickly and just show us what this means for us. So to put away malice, it means we should have no desire to do anyone harm or to be hostile towards anyone. This needs to revolutionize the way we we treat people, even on social media. Put away deceit. 
We should want honesty and genuine character to take over everything that we do. Put away hypocrisy. We want to know the depths of our sins so that we know we are no higher than the person next to us. We want to put away envy. We want to be content with the life the Lord has blessed us with and ask for ways to be generous to others. We want to put away slander. Again, we want the truth to reign in everything we do, but also in what we say. It means we don't ever desire to misrepresent someone else, what they've done or what they've said. We can't dabble in these things from the former way of life and say, oh, it's okay, it's just, it's just a little bit. We must put them fully aside. We must put them to death. Why? Because these are the exact opposite of verse 22 when it tells us to, to love sincerely, to earnestly love one another. This is the opposite to sincere love as we've been commanded. These things are not love at all. So again, I, I told you I'm going to be going back to the logic of this passage. We're going to go back to it again. Remember, these chapter numbers were put in well after the Holy Spirit inspired this text. There's no real division between chapter 1 and chapter 2, and that's why we're preaching from both today. So there's no division between verse 25 in chapter 1 and verse 1 in chapter 2. So that so at the beginning of verse 1 is significant. It's pointing backwards. Sorry, backwards. So what should we do in response to the imperishable salvation and love we enjoy in Christ? Stop being mean. Stop doing these things. We can stop trying to push people down and stop trying to lift ourselves up by pushing them down. Jesus has already lifted us up. We can rest. We can stop our clawing and grasping for more. We can put down these wicked tools that, that we used to try to use to get ahead in our previous life. They do us and others no good in our new life with Christ. So how do we do this? This is where that eternal word, that, that eternal gospel is so, so important. You see, the gospel is not something that we believed past tense, and now we go on to other things, like cleaning ourselves up and growing in other ways. No, the gospel is the only thing that can clean us up. The gospel is the only thing that can create growth in our lives. We receive the good news of the gospel by faith to be saved, to be born again, yes, but also to continually receive the gospel day in, day out, to grow. We need it to grow so I love this illustration that Peter uses about infants and their craving for milk. In verse 2, he says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it they may grow up into salvation. So when we hear, hear that word milk, uh, some of you may automatically think of uh, maybe the more famous passage about milk in Hebrews 5, where uh, the writer of Hebrews is kind of being critical of the listeners, of the people that he's writing to in the book of Hebrews, he says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. So in this passage, in Hebrews 5, the author is kind of calling out the readers 
He's saying, you are far less mature than you ought to be. You're still on milk when you should be eating steak. Why are you still babies? He's asking. But this is not what Peter is saying here. Just because milk is used, it makes us think that, but he's not. Peter is using the illustration of an infant's craving and need for pure milk to say to his listeners and to us that we should be craving the pure, unadulterated milk of the word of God. So as an infant cries repeatedly to be fed over and over and over again, so too we should be constantly yearning and seeking for the wisdom and grace and direction from God's word. My older brother and his wife are expecting their their first baby, and I'm pretty excited because it's the first time I'll be an uncle, Um, but there's a little bit of sadness in it too because they're so far away. My older brother and his wife live in Okinawa, Japan, so I won't be able to see my young nephew very often. I'm hoping, Lord willing, that we'd be able to go relatively soon after the birth of the child and see him. But then if that were to happen, it probably could be at least a year before I'd see him again. What would you say if I, if I went to see him that second time and he hadn't grown a bit in a whole year? He's still just as small. He still can't hold up his big fat head. He hasn't, hasn't changed a bit. He looks the exact same. He should be starting to crawl maybe and doing different things. One day he's going to start talking. What if none of that happened? What if he stayed an infant forever? We would think that's very, very strange. It is the same way with us. The Christian needs to grow in the same way infants need to grow. We do this by going to the pure milk of the word repeatedly. We go to God's word to see God's grace Uh, for us afresh to turn from our sin and rest in the embrace of our Savior who loves when we confess our profound need for him. So as we grow, we stop craving the, the junk food from our previous life. And we start craving the wholesome, healthy, pure, spiritual nourishment from God's word. And then we grow more. It's this self-feeding growth process. This is God's discipleship program for us. Keep coming to his word. Day in, day out, in community, in confession, in repentance, while loving others, keep going to God's word. It is the only way to grow. So Peter ends our passage today with a bit of a bite, and that pun was intended, it's not a mean comment, but in fact, um, in fact, he's believing the answer is yes for the people he's writing to. He's believing the best about them. He says this question that we need to consider. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's saying that the evidence that we have tasted that the Lord is good is that we love others. We're growing through his word and we're putting aside our former way of life. If we are in Christ, if we have been saved by him, if we have come to place our faith in Jesus through the gospel, we will be transformed. Our former way of life and its passions will decrease and our new life and passions will increase. 
Christ and sin cannot be appealing to us at the exact same time. They inversely rise or fall. It's a seesaw effect. Either we will grow in our love for our former life in the flesh, or we will grow in our love for our new life in the spirit. So here is this great test for us today. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, these things will be true. We will see a growing love for one another. You truly are growing and genuinely love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You want them to grow. In fact, you want to be an active part of their growth as a member of the body of Christ. You have a growing desire for God's word. If you've tasted the Lord is good. You know that the world is a harsh place and the only place to go for the truth and for the grace that surpasses all understanding is in his word. You will grow in a rejection of your former way of life. We say no to the former things that we thought would get us head. We reject them as foolishness and hubris if we have tasted that the Lord is good. So if a single taste of, of Thai food can transform my life and habits so profoundly, how much more should a taste of the goodness of God transform my life? Every single area of it. As the source of all things good, how much better is he? As the inventor of taste buds and the gift of flavors, how much more intriguing is he? As the one who sent his son to die in our place. How lovely and gracious is he. Jesus came to die for us. We were at our absolute worst. We were consumed by malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, and we didn't care one bit. We were totally content continuing to cheat our way through life at the expense of others. But when we get a taste of this gospel, whether for the first time or the 10 millionth time, it should always taste good. It should melt in our mouths, drip down and cover our heart, and then energize our limbs to love those around us. So here's the encouragement and challenge Peter gives us today. Your firm salvation, given only because of God's love for you, should lead you to grow in his word and love for others. It is simple, but it's going to take our entire lives growing in it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your word and your grace towards us in Christ. Lord, we thank you that you have saved us of no merit of our own. You've shown us undeserved love and grace. Father, may that transform the way we live. Give us a hunger for your word today, Father. Give us a hunger to love others. Give us a rejection of our former way of life. And may Christ get all of the glory for the transformation you work in our lives and you're going to continue to work in our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we continue worshiping, we want to continue to taste the goodness of God this morning and remember his grace and mercy for us. So every month we celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a church. The Lord's Supper or communion is something Jesus instituted the night he was betrayed when he ate with his disciples. 
He took bread and he took wine and he told them they were to eat the bread and drink the wine as symbols of his broken body and his shed blood. Now that was probably very confusing for them, but all they had to do was wait a few hours and they saw the horrific crucifixion of their Lord and Savior right before their eyes, his broken body, his shed blood for them. Jesus commands us to take his supper together as a church, as one body together, to remember his sacrifice. So the taste of these physical elements help us Help our forgetful hearts remember the spiritual truth of what he's done for us. What he's done to save us from an eternity separated from all things good. So we need to consider again Peter's question at the end of our passage today. If you have indeed tasted that the Lord is good. So if you have tasted the Lord is good, if you are a believer in Christ, if you have surrendered to Christ and, and repented of your sins and turned to him as, you, as your Lord and Savior and you desire to follow him, if your faith is in him, would you take communion with us this morning? If you have not tasted that the Lord is good this morning, let this be the day. Let this be the day when you surrender your life to Christ, when you see for the first time through the power of the Holy Spirit that Christ died for you, that your sins were on his shoulders when he died on the cross. Let that be sweet to your mouth today. And I ask that you would refrain from taking communion and and come see me afterwards. I would love to talk to you and celebrate with you that today is the day you've tasted that the Lord is good. So let's take a few minutes and just pray silently to the Lord. Ask him to reveal our sin to us. Ask him to reveal ways that we have gone back to our former way of life and tried to live out those things. Ask for the power to love others through the Holy Spirit. for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.